Hello everyone and welcome to episode 3 of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. I'm Zachary Scott Johnson. Not too many announcements before we dive right into today's episode, but I want to invite you to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, if you enjoy it especially. Um, You can find more information about me by googling Zachary Scott Johnson or my YouTube project, The Song A Day Project. My co-host Meryl McNally has a wonderful theater company called Neverland Theater Company in Roswell, New Mexico that you should check out. You can get there by checking out www.neverlandtheatercompany.com, and theater in this case is spelled R-E. Today's episode centers around the film Out of Africa. All right. Welcome back for another episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson. And Meryl McNally, how are you today, Meryl McNally? I'm excellent, Zach. How are you? I'm good. We're speaking in the morning this time. I know, right? I've got my coffee. <laughs> ready to go. Yes, it's good. It's a Sunday morning. Um, so, uh, the big news, of course, this week is Meryl Streep broke her own record. She was nominated for her 20th Academy Award. Oh, my God. For Florence Foster uh, it's, Jenkins. It's a little, little mind-blowing. It is. It's crazy. I saw a statistic, of course, you know, there are all these things. Actually, I feel like the nominations, there are a few snubs and surprises, which I think we'll talk about in just a sec. But um, one of the things that I loved about this year is, especially after last year with the Oscar So White campaign, is there's Uh actually a lot of diversity this year. I mean, not as much as it should be still, but, I mean, they made a huge jump up from last year. So um, they're moving in the right direction. And... um, one of the things is, so they had all these, I, I read this article talking about all these stats, and um, what did it, it said something about um, Meryl Streep now has as many nominations as, I think it was Catherine Hepburn and Marlon Brando put together. <laughs> is that correct? Uh, <laughs> it's really unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's crazy. And she's not, you know, I mean, she's going to keep going, obviously. Like, who knows? What do you think? Oh, I'm How sure. Many, how many do you think she ends up with at the end of her career? Do you think she'll hit 25? Oh, yeah. Do you think she'll yeah. hit 30? I mean, I, I do. I, I do. Wow. I, I don't see her. I mean, unless something happens, which I hope not, knock on wood. But, but um, you know, how many years in a row has she consistently yeah. got one? I, I didn't. I didn't look to see how many years in a row, how many consecutive years she's actually had a nomination. But it is several, I believe. Although wrong. she wasn't, she wasn't up for anything last year, was she? Because the only movie last year was Ricky and the Flash. Oh, you're right. So last year, I don't year think she last didn't. year she was. But you're. I mean, it's one of those things where it's it's ra- rarer to have an off year. So she's yeah. these runs of like three or four years and a year off and another three or four years and then a year off, you know. That's, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and I have still not seen Florence Foster Jenkins. Right. Right. But which, we'll do um, it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have, to, were, we'll have to get to that. Yeah, you were saying we'll do it maybe right before the Oscars, which I think is a good idea. Yeah. Do you try to see all the... Oscar movies? I know it's hard to do, but do you try to see as many I, as you can? I do. I really, it's it's a tradition of mine to sit down and watch the Oscars every year. And, um, you know, I, 
I definitely make my best guess on on winners and um, mm-hmm. usually do a, a local, you know, Oscar competition to see if see who oh, can you guess. Right? You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I've got a we've got a group of friends that have a pool going that do it every year and. And, uh, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to get, it's hard to take an educated guess. And it's also not very fun to sit and watch the Oscars and not have seen the performances. So I try. Yeah. It's very difficult where I live though, because the films don't always come here or they come, yep. you know, they, they go out on DVD afterwards. So right. it's a little yep. bit of a challenge. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. I, there were so many that it's, I live in a, like I keep saying in all these episodes, I live really in a, in a small town, but actually within about a half hour or so, you know, in different directions, there are three or four different movie theaters. And um, so it's not that we don't get a lot of things because we do, but the stuff like Manchester by the Sea, which of course is one of the bigger ones this year, was here for like a mm-hmm. week and then was gone. You right. know what I mean? It's just... It's that kind of thing where you don't have enough time because I kind of assume, oh, it'll, I'll go see it next week or the week after. And that's partially on me. I guess I should get to the point where, like, if it's there, go see it, you know, and just don't don't take chances. But, you know, there are too many fences was gone. You know, I thought for sure that'd be in the theaters longer than it was around here, uh, Manchester by the Sea, for sure. You know, all these all these movies. So I feel like I'm kind of behind but i'm hoping to so why don't we do this let's let's kind of talk about maybe the the big five or six categories picture you know director supporting and and lead actor and actress we'll do this kind of quickly we don't have to spend a lot of time on yes. it but, um so nine nominees for best picture i think it's that sliding scale now so it can be somewhere between five and ten i think films now right does that sound right so it has yes. something to do with the idea of, like, how many first-place votes they get or something. I'm not sure. Uh, but anyway, there were nine nominated this year. Uh, those films are Arrival, which I did see and really liked. Um, okay. Fen- Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, which we'll come back to that one, Heller High Water, which I saw and really liked that one, too. Hidden Figures, I saw that and liked that a lot. You, you said you saw that one, too, right? Mm-hmm, I did. I saw Hacksaw Ridge as well. Did you really? Okay, I want to talk to you about that. I one. did. Um, La La Land, which is which was nominated. It's, it has tied the record with Titanic, and I think All About Eve. Is that right? Yeah. All About Eve. I think yeah. is the other one. Uh, for most nominations ever for a film yeah. with 14. what is fourteen? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lion. That's one I've been hoping to see. Manchester by the Sea and Moonlight. So those those are the nine. So what jumps out at you, if anything, from that list? There are surprises, things that weren't in there that you were thinking might be. No, um, I think the broadening of the category and none of these none of these nominations surprised me at all. Actually, mm-hmm. especially okay. with um, yeah, they really don't. I'm looking at the list right now. I um, I haven't seen most of them. I've seen Hidden Figures. Hex, well, I've seen three. Hacksaw Ridge, Heller High Water, and Hidden Figures. Um, Heller High Water is an interesting one for me, um, and we can talk about that later. But the others I haven't seen, so I can't really. Yeah, no, what did you think of Heller High Water? I'm interested in that because I really like that movie. So, uh, you know, there's there's a, there's a lot of love for that film, and, and mm-hmm. I thought it is very good. I think the difference is that I live there. 
Right. Like the the environment that they are portraying is not unusual or particularly gritty. It's just our mm. everyday existence. And so the film didn't quite have the impact on me that I think it did on the rest of, you know, the the rest of the country for people who saw it and really really loved it. I love um I loved Sicario. I think um Ty Sheridan is an is an excellent writer. And the performances were fantastic. You know, everyone's praising Jeff Bridges' performance in the film, and he is wonderful. But I, again, like, I know a dozen men who are exactly like that. Interesting. Interesting. So it's, it, it, it wasn't as cataclysmic for me as it was for other people. Well, that means he got it right, though, right? I mean, he did. He oh, he's, he's brilliant. <laughs> he's, he's yeah. always, all, 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 Ben Foster is. Also, and Chris Pine, they they all gave phenomenal performances. The nomination is certainly, I think, deserved. Mm-hmm. They captured it. They, I mean, they captured the environment of West Texas, southeastern New Mexico. I mean, that's what we live in, guys. It's a special yeah. place. <laughs> yeah, um, it was. I think uh, you know, I I don't know how you feel about the the idea of snubs. The word snubs. I you know, there are a lot of articles mm-hmm. when the nominations go out that talk about the films that were maybe expected to be nominated or performances that were expected to be nominated that aren't. And um, it's partly mm-hmm. because I listened to that Leonard Moulton podcast and he has it like, that's one of his things that he, he goes off about the word snubs and talking about how ridiculous he finds that to be. And his, <laughs> his reasoning is, you know, the Academy branches, when you put them all together, total about 7,000 people. And so the idea that like 7,000 people, got together and made a conscious choice, we're not going to nominate. That is, of course, not how it's done. His argument is like, you know, if you can say, you know, okay, this person should have been nominated for this movie, you have to look at that category and say, well, who shouldn't have been nominated? And most of the time you'll find that everybody who's in that category deserves to be there. So it's not so much the idea of, like, somebody's being excluded, it's just there's not enough spots, basically, which I can kind of see that. So, um, But what I was just going to say is, in this snubs thing that some people are saying um, that the director of Hiller High was David McKenzie, but he, a lot of people were saying that um, they expected the director of Hiller High Water to be nominated, and he wasn't nominated. And um, David McKenzie, you're correct. David McKenzie, yeah. You know, that and, makes uh, sense to me because they've kept the director category at five. And when you're nominating right. anywhere between five to ten films, like, you're not going to get all the directors in there. You're just you're right. Just not. Right. But I think one of the things um, when you look at the the director category, I think one mm-hmm. of the surprises, actually probably the only real surprise out of the five nominated, was Mel Gibson. Um, you know him back. And so in the director category, there was David McKenzie uh, for um, Hell or High Water. And uh, Martin Scorsese for Silence, which is another movie that people thought might be in there that that isn't in there. So those were the two where they were thinking, well, you know, maybe those guys would be in there. And instead, Mel Gibson got in there, and really not a lot of people were predicting Mel Gibson would be there. A lot of people were saying Taxar Ridge would be in there for film, but they didn't think that he would necessarily get the nomination for Best Director. So I haven't seen that one. So you said you have. What was your opinion of Hatch Ridge? Um, gosh, it, I'm so ambivalent about it. Um, it is a 
It is a meticulously crafted film. Uh-huh. The the direction is unique. Okay. Um and very precise and very brutal. Um, it's a very intimate film. You know, there have been a lot of sort of World War II epic films, and I think everyone sort of thought that Hacksaw Ridge was was sort of in line with that. It's really not. Um, uh, it's the, the battle feels very, very intimate. You really do stick with the character the whole time, and it is just, uh, the best way to describe it is brutally and artfully violent. Mm. And um, I've never seen anybody capture violence like that on film. It has a distinct style. The, the script itself, you know, it's not it's not a it's not a complicated tale. And um, he he really does lift that lead character to almost a a, a, a Christ-like figure, huh. and um, the character of Desmond well. really, yeah, it's not, yeah, it's it's not surprising. The character of Desmond really doesn't have a lot of dimension huh. in, in that sense, and you can kind of see Andrew Garfield struggle with that a little bit, and and he really does ele- elevate the performance. He's lovely in it. I'm I, not. And he's surprised. nominated. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised. Um, I think. I get the impression the industry was looking for a way to welcome him back in. Um, yeah. It's uh, without considering other films that got left off. I'm not surprised it got the nomination, nor am I surprised he did. I was more surprised by Martin Scorsese, yeah. just because Excellent. Silence didn't get. Um, uh, yeah. Well, because they you well they usually give him a nomination, but he never wins. Right. Like you know, that's right. sort of the. I was, but I don't know. You know, the film wasn't really nominated for um, anything else. Silence, except right. I think I one. Yeah, I'm but, not sure that uh, it was really nominated for anything. Was it? I'm looking for I the think cinematography. Oh, okay. Let me see. But I'm not positive about that. No, you're right. It is. Cinematography. It is on the okay. list for cinematography. You're right. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's. I haven't seen it, and I'm anxious to see it because I know it was a passion project for Scorsese. I know this is one of those that he's been longing to make for a long time. Um, so you know that in and of itself kind of makes it more interesting to me. Um, stepping back to, to Mel Gibson, you know the thing that mm-hmm. I I never get excited about or movies. You know, that's just not my favorite genre. And um, yeah, I don't know. I've heard things. I've heard, like you said, Andrew Garfield was really good in it. I've also heard, I've heard people say actually that they really disliked the direction of this movie. And they thought a lot of the cinematography of it was not good. Um, so I don't know. That's kind of interesting. I, I'll, I'll for sure see it when it comes out. But, you know, I think Mel Gibson must really have a thing with violence. If you think about the movies he's directed, he, he based does, on what he said, that The Passion of the Christ, Braveheart, these are all extremely violent movies. So, you know, what he's this trying to say about This takes it to another level. Is, really? 
Yeah, it really does. I, I was, um, you know, I went to see it by myself on a Friday afternoon. I was just sort of looking to looking to escape for a couple hours. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure that was the film to pick to do that. <laughs> but I, I, um, um, I really experienced it as a um, just a regular audience goer. I, I didn't go into it thinking, um, thinking critically about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, the, it's it's heavy-handed. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the best way to describe it. It's very heavy-handed. The characters are sort of broad strokes. It's very um, the sort of <clears throat> the the themes um, are sort of you know hammered <laughs> hammered on very strongly. I mean, there's uh-huh. nothing subtle about it. Nothing. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Um, I, I- I wasn't really yeah. excited to see it before, and now I think I'm less excited to see it. Uh, I I don't know. It's yeah okay. Well, we'll see. The only other one that, like you say, I was a little surprised that Silence wasn't in there for picture. The only other one that I thought, you know, Birth of a Nation had a like really big, like you know, oh yeah, when it was released at Sundance earlier this year, almost a year ago now. Um, you know, everybody that was going to be the winner. You know, they basically crowned it then. And man, what a fall for that movie! And I mean, a lot yeah. of it is, has to do with the controversy surrounding the filmmaker. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, that was that was one that possibly. And then the only other one besides that, which was another film that I actually liked quite a bit, was Sully, um, another Clint Eastwood movie. That um, right? You know, I, I liked it. it. I thought it was good. I thought it was good. Um, yeah, it's an interesting picture. Um, but okay, so then I think another category where there was some significant, whatever you want to call it, not snubbing, but basically, as we talked about last time, there basically were eight, you know, eight women that that were kind of considered to be, should be in the best actress category, and of course, five slots. So right. they went with five. Um, they chose a five from that group of eight, um, which was Isabel Hubert. For Elle, mm-hmm. Ruth Mega for Loving, Natalie Portman for Jackie, Emma Stone for La La Land, and Meryl for Florence Foster Jenkins, which of course left out a couple of the ones that we thought were pretty slam dunk ones. Yep. Annette Benning for 20th Century Women, Amy Adams for Arrival, and then we we suspected that it might not happen, but kind of hoped that Taraji P. Henson for uh, yeah, figures would land in there too. That one I wasn't really surprised by, but you know, still a little disappointed by. But Annette Benning yeah. and Amy Adams, that both of those were pretty um, surprising, I think. Oh, and then did you hear what happened? The Oscars website, yeah. they they briefly posted that Annette Benning, Amy Adams, and Tom Hanks had all been nominated and had to take it down. And it's just I was like, oh, that is yeah. Right. I, I, I didn't hear that Annette Benning was part of it. I heard Amy Adams and Tom Hanks were part of that, but yeah. Um, Maybe she yeah. wasn't. That, yeah, that's rough. Although, I, I don't know how Tom Hanks felt about it. I heard that Amy Adams didn't even hear about any of that until, like, they released Probably a not. about it. So she wasn't. Thank goodness like, it was just on the website. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that could have been really bad. That could have been really yeah. bad. Um, but, you know, the the fact that Ruth Nega kind of snuck in there and even to a certain extent um, you know to a certain extent Meryl um, you know there yeah. were there were some front runners for sure Emma Stone who is probably going to win um, Natalie Portman uh, you know those two you could have 
for sure predicted. And I kind of thought Amy Adams was in that group, too. I thought she was for sure and um, was a little surprised. Um, Annette Benning, I, I a couple months ago would have said for sure, but there's, you know, I don't know. She's kind of, as other performances have risen, hers kind of, yeah, kind of fell down, um, which is too bad. Obviously like, sad. Yeah. Like we've been saying, I was hoping for her to win the whole thing, so I'm, I'm yeah. really bummed she didn't even get the nom. But it's a good it's year. True. It's a it good is. year when you've got eight really strong performances, um, and you've got people debating about who should be in there. I think that's that's a great year. So. Um, yeah, any, anybody else in the actress category you were thinking might sneak in there or anything else that you were kind of surprised by? No, I, I, um, I, I'm, I guess I wasn't surprised, but, um, um, you know, the fact that Isabel Hooper kind of took that momentum and, and, and ended up in there is really great for her, especially when her film's not even nominated in the best foreign film category. Yeah. Yeah. They say she's really remarkable in that movie. That's one that I'm very excited to see, actually. That's one out of the ones yet to see. That one I'm really, really interested. You know, they say she has been in more than 100 movies. You, we don't we don't really see very much of her, so it's great that she's having a moment, you know? Isn't she in David O. Russell's I Heart Huckabees? I'm fairly certain she, she could is. be. Yeah, yeah, she could be. I don't know off the top of my head, but she certainly could be. Um. Yeah, and yeah. so then on the other side, the Best Actor category, this kind of did go, for the most part, the way people were thinking it would go. For Best Actor, we have Casey Affleck mm-hmm. for Manchester by the Sea, Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge, Ryan Gosling for La La Land, Viggo Mortensen for Captain Fantastic, and Denzel Washington for Fences. So the only kind of that I really found were two people um, again, Tom Hanks and Sully, people thought, had a shot. Um, and, yep. again, until Viggo Mortensen started gaining some traction for Captain Fantastic, Tom Hanks was in there, and then, you know, he got a, got nudged out by Viggo. Um, and then a movie that very few people, including myself, have seen, but some people were really pushing, was uh, Michael Keaton in a film called The Founder, which I, oh, think yeah. is about, which I think is about the guy who founded McDonald's, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So... I'm glad that he's yeah, kind of having this renaissance. You know, he's been, the last three years between Birdman, Spotlight, and The Founder, he's really had a, a pretty remarkable renaissance, you know? He really has. I'm so glad, too. I, I really like Michael Keaton. Yeah, Despite having initially been scarred by him in Beetlejuice, uh, I've come around. <laughs> yeah. No, he's great. He's great. He really I is. Would have, I would have loved to have seen Tom Hanks nominated for Sully. I think it's a great, great performance. The thing that strikes me about that film is it's kind of a quiet movie. You know what I mean? It's not, there's really no, so you know how they show uh, like 10, 15 second clip at the Oscars. That's the thing Uh that, that's the thing that's missing from that movie. He, He never has like an emotional breakdown. You never see him crack. So everything in that performance is very kind of measured. There's no big moment for him, like a scene chewery, yeah. you know, chewing the scenery kind of moment. So that sometimes they have a hard time with that when there's no big yeah. moment and it's just a soft, strong performance. But <laughs> the Oscars um, does not reward subtlety. Mm-hmm. And it's a subtle, it it's a subtle performance. It really is. Uh-huh. It's a great performance. 
that. I have heard that. Stuff. I need to see it. It's on the it's list. It's great. So many. Yeah. And that one's out. That one's out. I might already own that one. Um, so then we have the uh, supporting actress category. This went exactly the way people were predicting. Um, the yeah. exact slide that everybody was saying were going to happen, which is Viola Davis for Fences, uh, Naomi Harris for Moonlight, and Nicole Kidman for Lion. Good to see her back in this, by the way. Um, yeah. Octavia, Octavia Spencer for Hidden Figures, who was fantastic. And Michelle Williams for Manchester by the Sea. Um, anything jump out to you from that group? Um, I'm just excited for Viola Davis. I mean, I think she's sort of a shoe-in. Yep. <laughs> I don't think there's well going to take it. Yeah. yeah. I have heard amazing things about Naomi Harris in Moonlight. Oh, really? Uh, and that's another one. Yes, that's another one I really just desperately want to see. It just hasn't come here. Neither has Manchester by the Sea. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, La La Land finally did come. It's here this week. I'm sure it will leave next week. So I'm going to try and get to the theater before it leaves. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I'm excited to see Nicole Kidman back as well. Yeah, me too. I really, I've always enjoyed her. I think she, um, I think she always does interesting stuff. Um, yeah, I kind of wonder about poor Michelle Williams because she was one who, you know, she's been nominated quite a few know, times, right? Times. Yeah, I feel like three or four times now. And um, she was one who they were saying before Viola Davis ended up, you know, and this was this is now a couple months ago that they first started talking about, you know, Viola Davis was likely going to switch to supporting. But Michelle Williams basically had that locked down as of a couple months ago. She was the like, oh, she's going to win it thing. And then Viola Davis, you know, went supporting instead of lead actress. And so, you know, yeah. from her perspective, how how that changed things. And actually, here's here's a question for you. It's it's a hard question because neither one of us has seen Census yet. But I'm wondering if Viola Davis was still in the lead category, would she be the front runner in that category too, or is the performance um, a shoeing supporting. So. You think so or don't think so? Well, I think I haven't seen Fences. Um, I, I've, I've read the play. Um, it's been a long time. Um, it is absolutely a lead actor role. Uh-huh. Um, and but um, I'm I'm just not sure with Emma Stone's momentum and Jackie. Um, you know, La La Land's a popular film, and it helps yeah. boost your actors' nominations. Fences, yeah. I don't think, is getting the same love as as a film, even though it is in the best picture category. Um, right. I think it, it is more about the performances because it was a play first, and it is more subtle. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, um, I, I don't think she'd be the front runner. I, I don't, and that that makes me sad. Right. Because she should be. Yeah, but good, good that she, um, good that she is the front runner. And like we say, you can probably write her name yes. down at this point. <laughs> you know, she'll she'll get oh, yeah. the Oscar for sure. Um, yeah, I let's let's again kind of before we actually get to the Oscars, we'll talk. We'll kind of go through the noms today, but let's do another one where we, where we talk about maybe who we hope wins and who we think will win. Maybe when you know in a week or two when we get closer to yeah. it. Yeah, because I I'm. I have more to say on La La Land, actually. Even though I haven't seen it, I have some opinions on it. And if you're going to go see it, I'll try to see it, too, maybe before Oscars. And we okay. can maybe squeeze that in. Um, and then the last category, which does have a uh, Meryl connection, is the supporting actor 
category. Uh, so mm-hmm. the five making the cut were Mirhashala Ali uh, for Moonlight, Jeff Bridges for Hell or High Water, Lucas Hedges for Manchester by the Sea, Dev Patel for Lion, and Michael Shannon for Nocturnal Animals. I was really glad that he kind of snuck in there, I have to say. He's, he's another one who has been doing really great work. So, you know, I yeah. haven't seen that film, but it's good to see him recognized. Who do you think is going to take the award? Jeff Bridges? I, no, I, I think Shala it's going to be Ali. the guy from Moonlight. Yeah, I do. I think it's going yeah. to be him. I do. He's, he's kind of got oh, the he, momentum. He won the Golden Globe, didn't he? <laughs> wasn't it? Um, wasn't it the guy from Nocturnal Animals, not Michael Shannon, the other guy from Nocturnal Animals? Oh, you're Animals? right. It was um, it was Aaron Taylor Johnson, right? Yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Who didn't even end up on the nominees list? But uh, the reason I was saying there's a Merrill connection was the other person that a lot of people were thinking would be on there, and Michael Shannon kind of took his place was Hugh Grant for Florence Foster Jenkins. Right. So, and that's a good performance the- from him. Is it? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. I, uh, I haven't seen it. He's so funny when he talks about doing films, you know. He keeps saying he's sort of retired. But he'll right. come back every once in a while to do a film for a friend or <laughs> he he's so he's so wonderfully cavalier about it. He's like, nah. <laughs> Yeah. I come do a he's, film every once in a while. He's very good in this, I think. Um and I think it's I'm looking forward to seeing maybe, it. Yeah, it's maybe the best work I've seen him do. So, for what it's worth. And then the other potential snub, although, you know, he was he was one who at one point people were saying might even be a winner. Because this is one of the few categories where I feel like there's significant competition. Like you say, we're kind of not sure who's going to win this category, where yeah. most of the other categories feel like we probably know. But this category could go a couple of different ways. And um, one of the people that people were saying might have a chance of winning wasn't nominated, which was Kevin Costner for Hidden Figures. Oh, a few, a few months ago, people were saying, wonderful. "Yeah, people were saying he was really good, and he was." Um, so you know, it might be his shot at another one. I he won for Dances with Wolves as a director and Best Picture, but he's never yeah. won on the acting side of things. So, so speaking of Oscars, we are yeah. we are doing we are going over Out of Africa today, which got eleven Oscar nominations at the time. Which Did it pretty, really? Yeah, eleven. Wow, I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. And it won seven. several. Yeah, I think seven. I think. Yeah, I should look that up. Yeah, I think that's correct because it won best picture, best director, best cinematographer, best music. I think yeah. best sound. Yeah. No, I'm looking at it on IMDb right now. It does say one seven. I guess I had forgotten that there were other things that it had been nominated for that it didn't win. But of course, Meryl is one of those. Go <laughs> figure. Um, What's interesting is that I, when I went to go watch the film, I, I rented it off of iTunes. And, you know, iTunes gives you the Rotten Tomatoes ranking for film. Uh-huh. And um, it has a 56% rating on really? Rotten Tomatoes. Like, it's got a green splodge mark, right? Like, it's not, it's not really? in the red. Yes, and I thought that was so strange. And so I went and dug up, like, Roger Ebert's review of the uh-huh. film, and uh, he gave it four stars. But it was critics. You know, it's a mix between audience and critics on Rotten Tomatoes. I was looking just at critics. Wow. Audience has it at 83. Isn't that interesting? That's crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, I've always existed in a world... Loved. Right. I've existed in a world where Out of Africa is universally loved and praised, and then I'm 
my world has been destroyed by Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. I found yeah. myself catching this. Um, I, I think it was probably on like the sidebar of something. Um, oh, it was because she was because Meryl was nominated for, for Florence Foster Jenkins. There was one. They managed to get me with the with the title of this article. I should probably know which publication it was, but it said something about you know Meryl's twenty nominations and the one that she really didn't deserve, or the yeah something like that. And uh, so of course I had to click because you got to know which one yeah. I'm talking about. And um, I there was I was going which one is it going to be? And for some reason there was something else about it that made me think that they were talking about out of Africa, but it wasn't out of Africa. However, they ranked them in the ones in, in terms of like which ones were the most, you know, deserving or which ones were the least. And out of Africa was towards the bottom and it said something about, really? admit it, this is a really boring movie. And I was like, that doesn't mean that's a bad performance. You know, <laughs> that's right. different things. Um, but the one just, just to not leave people hanging, the one that people really, that this article argued the performance that she should not have been nominated for was August Osage County, which I definitively disagree with. I, that one I really was surprised by. I liked that one way more than I thought I would. That's interesting. I, um, <clears throat> I'm i a big fan of the play, and I did not yeah. like the film adaptation at all. Really? I, I didn't, but I can see... I can see why she made the choices she made, and I think I think it's a wonderful performance, and it's in line with the heart of the play. It's just the rest of the film did not meet her. Interesting, interesting. Um, well, that's sort of my take on that. I we'll talk about that one. Minority, yeah, yeah, we'll get going. But yeah, so yeah, out of Africa, so big, big sweeping epic directed by Sidney Pollack. Yes. Um, so beautiful. Yeah. So for for those who have not seen it, the film is about um, Karen um, Karen Dennison was her maiden name. She's an she was an author. She's the pen name Isaac Dennison. She's a Danish Danish noblewoman. She married uh, Baron Blixen and moved to Africa to start a a coffee farm. And while there her marriage sort of disintegrates and she meets and falls in love with a British aristocrat named Dennis Fitchhatton played by the very legendary Robert Redford. And it's sort of the story of their romance and, and sort of the, it's got, it it deals with, you know, British imperialism, of course, and colonialism in Africa, probably less than it should. And that was um, some of the most interesting stuff from my perspective. That was what I was most interested in. Yeah. 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 And they just sort of touch on it. The focus really is that relationship between Robert Redford's character and Meryl Streep's character and, and it's disintegration as well. So. Right. We recommend it. Watch it. I, I do. Yeah. I actually, I enjoyed it. Um, I wouldn't say more than I had the last, time that I saw it, but, um, you know, this is one that, you know, you, you sit down and watch it and you know it's two and a half hours and it's, um, you know, it's an undertaking. As we talked about last time, it moves at a certain pace. I don't mean to imply that it's it does. slow or, or even that slow movies equal bad movie, which is not at all how I feel, but it is definitely at its own pace. And, um, yes. you know, it, it's you have to kind of give up a little bit more time. But I, I enjoyed it. I actually, I watched this movie. I watched, I have the, not only do I have the DVD, but I also actually also bought the Blu-ray when it came out because it had the, um, 
if there was like a nice little 25th anniversary edition or something where they had this really long documentary about it. So then I watched that, and then I actually went back and watched uh, Sidney Pollack's director's commentary. So I oh. really, I watched a lot of That's <laughs> this lovely. Um, yeah, which Sidney Pollack's director's commentary, which, um, my favorite thing about it is, uh, it depends on how much you like commentaries, but the thing that I found absolutely hysterical about it was, you know, usually, it, so it's just him. So that's always interesting when it's just one person mm-hmm. instead of, like, conversational with a few people. It's just right. him. And the way he starts it is funny because, you know, usually people will explain, like, who they are and say, I'm this person and I'm this person and I was this part of the film. And he doesn't do any of that. He just starts, like, <laughs> credits going. He, he just starts <laughs> as if he's in, like, mid-sentence. And he goes, you know, for a long time, I think. <laughs> that's thing. amazing. Like, yeah. I love that. Um, yeah. So, what was your what was your impression? I didn't I didn't allow you to to go on. How did you feel about watching this oh, movie no. again? Um, you know, the this film is for me the the, the pinnacle of of Meryl Streep performances because my I, I just it was one of the first films I saw with her. My mm-hmm. mom loved it. Um, mm-hmm. I think Kramer versus Kramer was the very first, but this was sort of, this was a recurring film. And my mom, my mom was just obsessed with the music score. And we listened oh, yeah. to it all the time. It's really sweeping and so beautiful, really moving. I mean, listening to it now, if I turn it on, I would start crying. So I watch it with a lot of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. And I um when i watched it again for to to do this podcast with you um all of that was still there and and going strong um it, and i can't i just can't criticize it in any way shape or form because it carries that sort of heavy nostalgic you know well, place and i'm me. not sure yeah i'm not sure really what there is to criticize about it it would be interesting to read the only thing about i it. noticed the only thing was in that first opening scene in Denmark. I don't know if it was reshoots or what, but right. when they did a close-up on, yep. on Meryl Streep and the gentleman playing um, uh, Braun Vixen, um, mm-hmm. th- th- there was clearly some, like, you know, green screen action yep. going on. And no, I'm that, was, that was the only thing where I was like, ooh, oh, I didn't notice that before. <laughs> That's rough. Yes, yes. <laughs> Or, yes, I, I noticed that, too. I found that interesting. And actually, again, because that happens at the very beginning of the movie. That's within the first couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's before yep. the credits even roll. Two things about that. Again, going back to the director's commentary, um, Sidney Pollack said that that was one of the few times in his career where the weather worked completely with them. He said that, you know, because there's snow on the ground. Right. And he said, like, the night before there was this beautiful snowfall. And he said that was not, you know, sometimes it'll, you have to add that kind of thing. He said it was beautiful. So I, I'm not sure because, like you said, I thought it was green screen. But then he was talking about how it was just perfect. One of the things that might possibly explain it is the way mm-hmm. they shot this movie. They, he talked a lot about the way this was filmed. Okay. And um, he he said they used a lot of different kinds of lenses, and basically the whole movie was backlit for different reasons. And so maybe there was something about the snow reflecting in a weird way or something. I'm not sure. Maybe. But but I don't think it was green screen. But I had exactly the same reaction as you did. It looks very much like a green screen. But that's what I'm saying is I don't think it actually was. 
or well, maybe and the close-ups were. Yeah, the far shots, you could tell it wasn't. They were clearly right. in the forest. But I also noticed, and they, it, it's, a, it's a far shot um, at the very end of that scene, and they're they're sitting on the they're sitting they're sitting on a basically a fallen tree, and there's yeah. some random guy off to the right who appears to be shoveling or something. Oh, but really? then if you look at Meryl Streep and and the actor with her, they are dead frozen. And there's dialogue happening, but you don't see any physical movement from them. So I found the whole thing very sort of jarring and weird. Yeah. Interesting. The the guy who plays her um her husband is Klaus Maria Randauer who um Yes. Sidney Pollack showed you know, that was both Redford and, and him were like the only guys that Sidney Pollack wanted. I think he actually had to kind of talk I think he had to talk Klaus Maria into doing this movie, but he saw him I guess he was the uh bad guy in a Bond movie. That's kind of what he oh. in um Never Say Never oh. Again. I think he was the okay. bad guy. So that's where Sidney Pollack saw him and, and decided, you know, they they wanted him for this movie. And on the flip side He won side a Golden that, Globe. Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah. Um, on the flip side of that, Sidney Pollack didn't really think Meryl was... Like, Meryl had to kind of fight for this role. Have you heard this story that she's told about this? No. No. She, um, she's told this many times. It's on the documentary, and there's a few other mentions of it in interviews when I looked on YouTube about it, too. He, um, they had never met. Sidney Pollack and Meryl Streep had never met. So it wasn't like, you know, that, that does add an element to it of, that makes it a little bit better. But, um, yeah. he was familiar with her work, of course, and she wanted to do the movie. And I guess, um, he made it clear, not to her directly, but he didn't think that she was right for it because he didn't think she was sexy enough. He thought she was certainly capable of playing the part, but he didn't think she was sexy enough. And so her response uh, to that, yeah, yeah, that's its own own thing. Her response to that was she wore what she just, she says, I, I had to do what I had to do. She says, I'm ashamed to admit this, but she says, I wore a low-cut top and a push-up bra to the audition. And she said, the sad thing is, it totally worked. She said she convinced him in that audition that she was sexy by doing that. Well, and you and knowing that story and then you watch the film, there are... I would say there are at least three scenes where it is the scenes are completely reliant on on their chemistry, yeah, mm-hmm. and the sexual tension, yeah, and it is it's palpable. It's very strong. They they are beautifully matched in the film, and and you just think, well, <laughs> she might not have been there if she hadn't yeah. worn a push up bra. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Some of the- some of the other folks who were – a few of these are absolutely crazy to me. Some of the other women who were um, considered – so there were two that were considered, Julie Christie and Judy Davis. They're listed as were considered. So I don't know if they ever auditioned or, you know, how, how far it went. Um, mm-hmm. Melanie Griffith did audition for it. So at one point she was fairly seriously considered. And oh, my. Do, you, do you know who turned down this movie? So that, again, implies that they were offered the role. This will blow your mind because time-wise, I'm not sure how this was even possible. Audrey Hepburn. What? I know. I'm not kidding. This is all over the Internet that she turned down. I mean, this is a film 1986? Yes. 
I don't know. I mean, she she was alive. She didn't die until like 1989, but she was right, right, right. But she was considerably older. older. Yes, I know. But again, she turned down this movie, which implies that that's what it says on the internet in multiple spots. It says that she turned down this role. Now, I wonder how long the film had been circulating. Exactly. Okay, so here's the other thing. So another on that list of who almost got the part was Greta Garbo, who definitely wasn't alive. So Alfred Hitchcock wanted to make this movie in the 50s. And Greta Garbo Garbo was going to play the role. He obviously never did end up making it. But there were a few other directors. And in fact, I think there at some point was a list of... Let me look real quick here. Because I think there was a list of other directors who was going to make it. Oh, yeah. So at, it says um, at various times, Orson Welles was going to do and David Lean mm. and Nicholas Rogue um, in addition to Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, so this had been around a while, like you say. So it's, oh, I, I can't possible. imagine Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock handling that material. Oof. I know. <laughs> Having yeah. a whole different movie. <laughs> so maybe it was with one of those directors maybe. that Audrey Hepburn that turned down this sense. role. It's yeah. still, I, I hope sometime we're able to, like, clear this up because it's, you know, that would also imply if she, again, turned down the movie that at some point they were making the movie, you know? <laughs> so who knows? Right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, sometimes it's a kind of crazy how sometimes those films, they sit on the shelf, you know, they'll, yeah. they'll be in development, stars will be attached, and then it falls apart, and it's a, you know, it's a decade, 15 years, 20 years before something actually gets made. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's um, a crapshoot. It is. Yeah, you never know, like you say. Um, so about 70% of this movie was actually filmed in Africa. She was saying in an interview that um, she really loved the time there. She said she was there for about six months, and she said for her it was just really great. She said, you know, she felt bad for Sidney Pollack because, you know, years later they were somewhere where they were able to reminisce about the film, and she said he remembered very little of it because he was working so hard that, like, you know, oh. he got to go to Africa, but he was also working so much that, like, he didn't really get to enjoy Africa. It was just a yeah. thing. And um, she said that because, you know, she was acting in it and not on the production side, she said she wasn't really aware until years later when she started hearing some of these stories, like, how kind of, how rough of a shoot that was for a lot of the people involved. Um, one of the things that I found kind of fascinating on that um, the documentary that's on the Blu-ray, which is called Song of Africa, is the fact that, um, you know, in a lot of the, like, they basically, so they, they had to do a lot of things. They shot it in Africa, but they had to, like, there were local laws about some of the animals and stuff, so they had to, like, import mm-hmm. the lions from California. And they basically oh, wow. To, yeah, they had to, like, build some of those towns from scratch, basically. They, they, the production designers, I guess, were there for like a whole year before they started shooting this thing to build some of these buildings and stuff because they went there and they couldn't find any place that was really like perfect for what they were looking for, you know? Right. So they spent really a whole year and Sidney Pollack, I guess, spent, you know, a year or two really working hard on the script too to, to get it exactly right. So I think you know, if this movie that was... may it explain. You and I were talking before we started recording about how, um, y- you know, the film doesn't deal with colonialism as much right. as we would like. Um, yeah, it, it, it sort of grazes over it, and I, I wonder if that was. 
um, uh, you know, a casualty of, of the filming situation. You know, you can't, you know, when you don't have a location to shoot at or the people you need, um, you know, the story is very intimate and very private. Like it, it pretty much sticks to um, Karen Blixen and Dennis Fitchhatton. Right. Um, you know, with the exception of, you know, campsites. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wonder if I, that was why. I think they really probably must have been roughing it in terms of, like, you know, when they were shooting. Shoot. Meryl told the story of... Um, she said she was in a tent sleeping one night. So that's kind of what I mean is I think like, you know, there were probably no hotels yeah. and stuff. I think they were like out on the terrain. And she said she was awoken by all this noise. And I can't remember if she said it was elephants or there was some, there was two of some animals really close to her that were like um, kind of confronting each other, but, you know, really close wow. to, to where she was. And, you know, she thought it was, she thought it was funny, whatever the animals were doing. But, you know, I think they were really in, some situations where things could have gotten rough. And in fact, she has said that, you know, the probably the most famous scene of this movie is the Robert Redford washing her hair movie, yeah. you know, scene. And um, she said that that was the most frightening scene because very nearby were, I think, two hippopotamus. I can't remember if it was <laughs> rhinos or hippopotamus. But those hippos, because, uh, you know, they do that right along the, the river yeah. or the lake or whatever's there. And there were... Yeah, I think there's actually some shots of them. Yeah. Yeah. And those animals, I guess, are very territorial to the point that, like, you know, if they... If you get in between them and the water, they just charge you. That, like, you're you have no shot. Like, <laughs> you're going down. Wow. And, uh, so that made her very nervous, she said. There was another... There were other scenes that, like... Well, I think specifically with the lions, but she... She usually felt pretty safe with the lions. With the, do you know the really famous story about her and the lions and Sidney no. Pollock? Oh, she's she she has gotten on Sidney Pollock's case a bunch of times about this, and he's pretty defensive <laughs> about it at this point. You know the scene <laughs> where she's awoken in the middle of the night because oh, the, yeah. um, the lion, one of the lions, has got a calf, so she ends up whipping the lions. Oh, yeah. She crawls through the thorn bushes. Oh, yeah. When I was little, that scene left an impression. Yeah. <laughs> a big one. Yeah. yeah. So they were doing a bunch of takes, I guess, where, you know, she was whipping the lion, but the lion uh-huh. knew it was tethered. You know, it couldn't move anywhere. So they said the lion just, like, sat down and was, like, you know, just <laughs> like, kind of bored. What are you wasn't doing? doing? Yeah, wasn't doing what they wanted <laughs> it to do. So Sidney Pollack, without telling her, untied the lion. She, no. says, that's what she says, that he oh. untied the lion. And so you, the scene that's in there, the, it, they said this was only for the last take, and they say that this is the one that's in the film, and that when the lion kind of, you know, roars at her, that it's real, and that her reaction is real, because he has untethered oh. the lion. Oh, he has. I've heard her tell this story. I remember when she got the AFI Lifetime Achievement, or, you know, Lifetime whatever, she told that story. She told this a couple times on talk shows. She told it in the Song of Africa documentary. Like, she's told this story many times. And like I said, he's defensive because right after she tells the story in the documentary, they cut to him, and he goes, I know she told that story. He says, who in their right mind would think I would do that? He says, I, he says, I would not do that. He says, 
she loves to tell that story. He said, you know, you're a little <laughs> creative. He said it wasn't like that. He said I. He said I would. I have think to he be would insane. get in. Yeah, I think he'd get in major trouble with the underwriters for the film. I yeah. mean, insurance companies will go bonkers. Yeah, although you know it was the mid 1980s and they were in the middle of Africa too, so you know it right. sort of depends upon who's reporting these things. To... <laughs> right. I mean, I guess if I were him, I'd I'd stick with the deniability as well. I wouldn't mean. Yeah. But he is he is pretty uh you can tell that she has kind of uh and they were they were friends, you know, for a long time yeah. afterwards. He has of course since passed away. Um but you know, they yes. whatever, you know, whatever happened, like they, they made peace with it. Too <laughs> but, funny. Yeah. Um he and actually it, uh, interestingly in the in the commentary track, he said that the only time he and Merrill ever like really had words about something and kind of, you know, got into a little bit of a tip wasn't about that. It was about a line that is in the movie that she didn't want to say, which is, I won't allow it, Dennis. And I can't remember the context of that line. Um, I meant to, to kind um, of rewatch he, that scene. He, um, the, the character Felicity, the sort of tom tomboy um, British woman who who visits her a few times at the farm, I think, and she meets her at her wedding. She wants to go out on safari with Dennis, and he's going to take her. And um, she's laying the law down in their relationship and essentially saying, no, you can't. I won't allow it. And huh. he basically tells her, I don't really care. <laughs> and, you know, what's interesting is that the character of Felicity is actually based on um, – a, a real woman. Obviously, they're all playing right. h- historical figures. Um, Beryl Markham, uh-huh. yeah. and Beryl had an affair with Dennis Fitzhatton as his affair with Karen Blixen came to an end. And right. she was um, she was British born, but grew up in Kenya. And she was actually she was a pilot. Right, and she's she, one of the first women to go across the Atlantic. Yeah, she she was the first female pilot to fly across the Atlantic east to yeah. west. I think she crash-landed in Nova Scotia. And um, she was also a horse race trainer. And she was um, she was pretty bold for her time. And, and she actually wrote a memoir called West with the Night, which is a, it's amazing. And, wow. I mean, Ernest Hemingway praised it. Wow. And it kind of fell into obscurity. And in the 80s, um, somebody found it and republished it and it made her so much money I and mean, she was basically destitute at the time and it made her enough money that she lived out the rest of her life in comfort but in in that memoir she I, I i read it and i have a whole story about that um but i i read that memoir i recall her saying that she re, she and karen blixen really did not um mesh well interesting yeah huh. Yeah, it was really interesting. I, I, I actually, this is a sidebar, but when I was working for um, the film producer in L.A. about ten years ago, Lloyd Phillips, he had he was sort of the first, the first person I worked with that sort of recognized that I had an an, an eye for for story development, and he gave me a a script called The West with the Night, and then he gave me a copy of the memoir to read, and he had done. He had done Beyond Borders with Angelina Jolie and really wanted her to do this film about Beryl Markham. And so I ended up reading the memoir and working on the script um, and the story development with him. And uh, I, I I don't think it went anywhere. And Lloyd has now since passed. 
sadly, but um, I got an entire education on Beryl Markham. Um, wow. Nice. After already having, I read Out of Africa, I think in high school, and I don't remember much about it except that it was good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's it's very, very interesting. I think the film captures the sexual politics of the period quite well and the challenges women faced. And um, you see that quite a bit in the film. It's a running theme. And uh, Meryl Streep is obviously brilliant at dealing with it. Yeah. Yeah. But it is so sad. It is. You know? But, yeah, it's it's a sad film, but, you know, it's, it's a it's a true story, and they didn't you know you have to you have to tell these things as they happen. And I think I think what women were dealing with, you know, that was that was something new for me to watch. So rewatching the film, you know, I I I'm very sensitive to now in my sort of jaded feminist eyes. There there's a lot of mansplaining going on by Robert mm-hmm. Redford. <laughs> yeah, quite a bit, and um, also I was just. I was more sensitive to and in tune with um, the challenges she faced as, as a woman. And, um, you know, what hit me the most was, you know, she, she decides to take the supplies and guns to her husband who's at, who's at the front world war during world war one and the fighting in Africa. And she, you know, she drives into camp and her hair, I mean, you know, she's been attacked by lions. She's been camping for how many days? She rides into camp, and the only thing her husband can say in disgust is, you changed your hair. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the things that's kind of interesting to me, um, uh, we're, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Were you? No, were no, you're good. Off? No, no, no. Um, one of the things is, that, like, how arranged that marriage was. You know, I mean, yes. they, it, it's made very plain. And, again, that opening scene that takes place before even the credits roll Um that this is a marriage of convenience. And so that what happens for the rest of the movie is, um, you know, it, she, it, it, it's hard because you don't really know. I, I guess I didn't get a sense of how much they really, if they even really did love each other. You know, I mean, it moved so quickly on to, to Redford once he'd introduced that. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit hard to understand exactly. You know, he gave her syphilis. Um, not not Redford, the the other character, her husband. Her husband, um, yeah. And um, you know, so so they must have had, at some, you know, obviously a, a sexual relationship. It wasn't so. Um, it wasn't a marriage of convenience where they were just friends. You know, they they obviously had a physical relationship too. Um, but yeah, it's really it's there's a lot of stuff in there um, in terms of you know the politics of of male-female relationships, and it's also a period piece, too. So it's looking yeah. back at an era in which things were were different and, you know, in a negative way in a lot of ways. Um, one of the things that I found most interesting, uh, we I, we kind of have both references, but we haven't kind of stuck on it, is some of mm-hmm. the um, debates her character and, and Redford's character have about, like, how much they want... Um, you know, the the tribes people in in Africa to be educated. I thought that stuff was really interesting because the debate they have, you can you can see both arguments. You know, her mm-hmm. her argument is she wants them to be educated. She wants to she wants to teach them to read and write and and do all 
you know, the things that we do. And, and his argument is, of course, you know, uh, what's, what's wrong with the way they live now? And, and she responds with a great line that, you know, did you ask to learn? When you were a kid, did you ask to learn? You know, that's, it's just the idea right. of, like, you teach kids. You teach them. If you, if you are able to teach somebody something, you teach it to them. And his argument is, I don't see why we need to make them, turn them into, what does he say, a little Englishman or a little Dutchman or something like that. Yeah. And um, it's, it's great because from line to line, you're like, oh, I'm on her side. Oh, I'm on his side. Oh, I'm on her. You know, like you keep going back and forth, or at least I did, because you're like, yeah, you're right. Oh, and yeah. You're right. You know, it's, it's really great arguments, actually. I know. Yeah, no, I I felt the same way about it. It was very, very interesting. And she, um, that's one of the areas where her character really evolves throughout the film. You know, when she first mm-hmm. arrives, when she first arrives, I mean, she's very much about imposing her, her sort of, um, you know, Western European I- ideals on um, the Kikuyu who work for her. And, um, and she, you know, she over time, and I think as a result of that conversation and others with, um, Dennis Fitchatton's character sort of comes to realize that it was, you know, their land first and, um, um, that, that they're, you know, imposing on them and it sort of culminates at the end, you know, she's made her, her house servant wear these gloves for ages to serve and, and, and he's, you know, not used to them and uncomfortable with them and drops things. And, you know, when everything's fallen apart and she's finally hollered uncle and is going back to, to uh, Denmark, you know, she rips the gloves off of him and said, these were never a good idea. And it sort of comes full circle. Yeah. Um, I wish the film had dealt with it more. Um, I do, too. Then, then again, it would be a completely different film. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, it's obviously so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it I think it could have dealt with it more. It could have tried to, to, to deal with it more. Yeah. They deal with it a little with the Barkley Cole character as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great performances. I think Redford is really good in this too. I, Redford's kind of always Redford, you know. I was, I was thinking that I was as I was watching him as, you know, he I guess originally wanted to play this character um, as he, he had an accent. He was going to play him as an Englishman, and, you know. So he, he in early when they Which first he was. started, right, and then. Sidney Pollack, I think, said, "Oh, it's not really working," and so they kind of reshot a couple scenes without the accent. That um, was why. Yeah, but I, Otherwise, I, I think really, we would have ended up in, like, Robin Hood, Kevin Costner territory. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing, though. It's like, have we ever heard Rod, Redford do an accent? Have we ever seen him play somebody who wasn't basically Robert Redford? Don't get me wrong. I love Robert Redford. He's another one of those guys who I see pretty much everything that he does. I really just, I always love his movies, and I always think he's good at them. But he's always kind of him, you know? Yeah, he he is, and, and he has... um. <laughs> yeah, this is going to sound like a negative thing, and I don't mean it that way, but I don't know how to phrase it. He has a gift for preaching on film. Mm, um, yeah. I think he's drawn to characters who have have a very strong position and opinion on something um, in a way that, that he can teach the audience. 
and that yeah. there's there's um is really no difference with this i i mean his characters really do fall in line with the Dennis Fitchatton character yeah. um he plays that part often yeah i this for him again, having seen most of his work and maybe maybe just about all of his work. The one that this his performance reminded me the most of was the way we were, just because there were a lot of like political arguments in that one too, and the idea of like yes. you know him really kind of like you say, you know, trying to trying to instill a sense of like really strong opinion on something, and uh, that's kind of of course the crux of the way we were is the fact that it's two people who believe basically a completely opposing views who love each other but can't manage to make it work because of that, you know? Like they can't they can't have yes. conversations. And it's always arguments. That comparison is is really excellent too for me because I watch both of these films now and I cringe a little as a woman. Um yeah. because I feel like I feel like the female protagonists in both of those films deserve better than they got. <laughs> You know, and, yeah, and yet they're still madly in love with him because he's Robert Redford. I mean, obviously that's not true. They're they're madly in love with the character, and right. um, for me, it's uh, oh, it, it, it's it's um, it's hard to watch in yeah, both instances. I, it's very hard to watch Karen Blixen and Out of Africa sort of fight to tie him down and his unwillingness to do it. But right. I love her line when she says, I used to think you didn't want anything, but that's not it. You want it all. It's true. He wanted yeah. his cake and he wanted to eat it too. Um, and um, and I think I think that was largely accurate and true to to the history of their relationship. He really did. I mean, he moved his things into her house, but not himself. Right. Yeah. Even the, that the eulogy that she gives for him at the end of the movie is, you yes. know, the the idea, too, of he was never mine. He was never ours, but he was never mine, you know. Um, yeah. They, she, they never managed to cross that last boundary where they were, you know, I guess made that commitment or whatever you want to call it. But that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, too. That's such a... You know, mm-hmm. great, great scene for for Meryl. I think she's just so good in it. Um, yeah. Yes. Other scenes that stand out for you? Yes, when uh, when Braun comes to tell her that Dennis has um, spoiler alert, um, Dennis Chatton has died in a plane crash. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just so perfectly still. Yeah. She just stares. It's so powerful. And she goes to light a cigarette, and there's just the slightest tremble in her hand. And you can just see her contain all of this grief and shock in in this blankness. It's so powerful. And then, she, you know, one of the only lines she says is, you know, I think she asks him why he came. And he said, I felt like it should be me. And her response is, my God, you're brave. Wow. That was yeah. pretty powerful for me. Yeah. How about yeah, you? No, I, I kind of talked about the ones that I, I loved the most. I, I love the New Year's Eve scene where they kind of start that debate. I love the eulogy yes. at the end. The, the other thing that just kind of amuses me about that New Year's Eve scene, you know, it's there's a lot of tension there. She ends up slapping a man, and he just kind of, like, takes her a little roughly, actually, and just, like, forces her to dance. Redford's character kind of forces her to dance. I know he's yes. trying to, like, diffuse the situation, but 
he didn't really allow her uh, the choice to dance with him. He just kind of drags her out. <laughs> right? I don't know. Looking back on it, it's, that's that's a little troublesome. But um, so then they have this debate while they're while they're dancing, and then it you know they start singing "Old Lang Syne" because we're at midnight, and there's you know kind of this "Are we supposed to kiss? Are we not supposed to kiss?" kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so they're all singing "Old Lang Syne," and this woman with the starter pistol just fires. <laughs> amazing, and the ceiling rings down. Yes, it, it, the ceiling, and I remember, and she starts singing "God Save the King," and so I like I found myself thinking like, "Oh, what in the world would happen?" Again, this is a different time; it's a different concept, everything. <laughs> Just the idea. Everybody's having a good time singing a song, and in the middle of it, for no real reason, somebody shoots in the ceiling. That was just such a funny moment to me. But yeah, you know why else I love that moment? Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say because it's not supposed to be funny. It's not played for a laugh. It's it's totally. No, it's not. Like, I love that. I, I want to be at a it's party where that all. happens sometimes. <laughs> right? Um, you know what? I love that. I love that part, too, because, you know, everyone everyone starts singing God Save the Queen, and and it really sets uh, Robert Redford and Meryl Streep's characters. She, she's Danish. He's British, but he really is an expat. Uh, I mean, he, for all intents and purposes, he has made Africa his home, and, and um you it was amazing to sort of set them apart as outsiders that they yeah. were both different and had sort of found themselves in a room full of you know british colonialist i it was uh it was an excellent way to sort of start their relationship yeah. because that's what that's probably what halfway through the film and they yeah. still haven't yeah. they still haven't gotten together so right yeah actually that reminds me too of i think it must be after that I think my my other favorite Meryl moment in this movie I think is not something where she says anything but when so she she leaves she goes back to Denmark in real life she left for like a year or two I'm not sure in the movie how long they imply that she's been gone but for, for sure yeah. for at least a few months and then she, she comes back to Africa right she goes and mm-hmm. gets treated for syphilis and uh, when she comes back it she and uh, they're they're walking down the street, and it's the end of the war. So they're having this big celebration. You know, everybody's out, mm-hmm. and um, so then she's she's watching this parade, and Redford spots her and says, you know, something like, "So you're back." And I love that moment when she turns and sees him because the look on her face is like that, you know, it's unbridled like enthusiasm for seeing somebody, and yet it's also like you see in the moment the way she's also, like, holding back the, like, oh, I'm not supposed to really feel this strongly about this. Per-. You know, I'm married to another person. I'm not supposed to feel this excited to see somebody, basically. You, right. I feel like you see all of that, and I love that. Because, like I said, she doesn't say, I mean, she does say stuff, but you, you, you read that all on her face, and I think it's just fantastic. I love it. That's what's amazing about her. It really yeah. is amazing. I will tell you, it was a little historical tidbit that Karen... Karen uh, Blixen's father had, um, I think he was a little bit of a philanderer is the impression I get. He had lived, he had lived with, um, I can't remember which Native American tribe in Wisconsin for about a year and then gone really? back to Denmark to his wife. And he had actually fathered a child over in the United States and he uh. went back to Denmark and I'm not sure how, but he, he had syphilis. And it would cause severe bouts of depression, which is which he ultimately committed suicide. 
when she really? was ten, and and it mentions that her father killed himself when he was ten in the film, but you don't you don't know why. And her her right. father actually had uh, pretty severe syphilis, so you can imagine oh. that her getting it was very, yeah, um, you Brings know, difficult. Things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, we referenced that uh, one of the things that's most lasting and iconic about this movie is the score, the incredible score by John Barry. Oh, Berry. my gosh. In terms of movie music, this is about as good as it gets. I mean, this is an yes, extraordinary agree. score. Um, it's amazing. Maybe I'll use that as the music for this episode instead of the instead of I'm checking out. We'll use that to start the... Please do. Yeah, it's so... And I have to tell you, music-related... Um, even, even though this is not the score, that Auld Lang Syne is one of my favorite songs. Is it I really? love it. And every time I hear it, it makes me cry. And it's because I associate it with Out of Africa. And whenever I hear the song, I think of that scene and I cry. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the score itself, obviously. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, the the main theme in particular, but really the whole film is just amazing. John Barry is a composer. He died just a few years ago in 2011. He uh, he won an Oscar for this. He also won Oscars yes. for four other movies. He, he Ooh, received five Academy Awards. Interestingly, with our Costner connection, he also scored Dances with Wolves. Um, so he won for that. He won for Lion in Winter, the old Lion in Winter. Not, you know, they've made it a few times, but the one with, I think, Peter O'Toole is that one. That is one um, of my favorite films of all time. Is it? Uh-huh. And yeah, with Peter O'Toole and Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. Yeah. And he won two Oscars for the same movie, one called Born Free. So I think it was for best song and best score for both. And actually, I don't okay. know that movie at all. I don't know Born Free. Oh, nice. So. But, so he had two more nominations. I don't know what films those were for, but he so he had seven nominations and he won five times, including including wow. this one. So yeah, good career, good career. Yeah. So would you recommend Out of Africa? Oh, absolutely. I would too. Do you think yeah. it's essential? Like if 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 you're gonna, give it's somebody, essential. Meryl Streep. Yeah, I think so too. It's a really, um, it's a subtle accent. It's a subtle performance. It's a you know. I have like, a farm in Africa. Yeah, the the Danish <laughs> accents, but it's great. Um, so yeah, all right. Well, let's move on to our other segments here. Should we do uh, Six Degrees or the movie's Meryl Almost Made segments next? What's your choice? Uh, let's do Six Degrees first, and then okay, and then uh, move into movies she almost made. Okay. So six degrees uh, from from last week we had two. We said Amy Poehler and John Wayne. Did you did you do either of these? No, you are okay. carrying you are carrying the load, my friend. <laughs> okay, so I'll I'll start with Amy Poehler. That one was easier for me. Amy Poehler, I thought of two. Um, my okay, well here I'll just I'll explain those two first. So Amy Poehler, she did Baby Mama, which also featured Steve Martin, who was in. Uh, it's complicated. I couldn't think of that name for a second. Oh. Um, and then the other one for Amy Poehler, this is old school, but she was in Mean Girls, of course, with Lindsay Lohan, who was in Very uh, oh, Home companion yeah so the other one john wayne was harder for me i'm not a john wayne person i don't know that i've ever really i've seen true grit but i'm not sure what outside of that i've really seen of john wayne well you should see uh, listen as a sidebar 
I'm going to go, uh, go ahead and give you, like, the 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 primer on John Wayne. You need to see The Searchers. Okay. You need to see, um, if you're inclined, the Calvary trilogy that John Ford did, although it's not absolutely necessary. The Searchers, The Cowboys, The Shootist, True Grit. Okay. Well, that's interesting that you say that because yeah. The Cowboys is my connection. So here's what I did ah, with, Bruce with John Wayne. Bruce Dern, yes. So... This came about because I heard of Laura Dern, who I love, being interviewed, and mm-hmm. she they, they talked about her dad and her mom, too, but her dad, Bruce Dern, and she said something about, um, well, you know, he got to shoot John Wayne. So I knew he was in a movie uh, with John Wayne, yes. and I knew there was a connection there. So I had to look it up on IMDb. So my whole thing with the six degrees is ideally you don't have to look it up. Ideally you should be able to do this in your head. So I want to be transparent. <laughs> Not that anybody really <laughs> cares anyway, but um, that I did, I knew he was in a movie with Bruce Dern, and I had to look up the title, which is The Cowboys. But Bruce Dern has a lot of connections to Meryl Streep. He was in um, the, a movie called The Haunting, which is a strange movie in the late 90s that I saw in the theater like five times with different groups of friends um, that featured Liam Neeson, who was in before and yes. after with Meryl. Um, okay. Bruce Dern is also in one of my all-time favorite movies, one of the weirdest movies in the entire world, but one of those movies that I've seen so many times I could quote every line from it, which is a movie from the mid-'80s called The Burbs with Tom Hanks. Oh, you know this movie? God, I love that movie so much. It's so good. I've seen that movie so, so many good. times. You never hear people talking about this movie. If I met Tom Hanks, I would ask him about the Burbs and not any of the Academy Award-winning stuff. I want to know yes. about the Burbs. It's brilliant. But, yes, but Carrie Fisher is in the Burbs too, and of course she is. She she isn't in Postcards from the Edge, but that's close enough with the connection. The other one that I thought yes. is I knew that John Wayne was in a movie with Catherine Hepburn too, which is Rooster Cogburn, which is I'm assuming the sequel to True Grit. Because that's the character yes. plays in True Grit. Yes, so. it's the sequel. And so Catherine Hepburn has connections, of course, among other ones that I've seen Catherine Hepburn in. She was in Love Affair, which might have been her last role ever with Annette mm-hmm. Benning, who was in Postcards from the Edge, and uh, also in oh, Trojan yeah. Women with Vanessa Redgrave, who was in Evening with Meryl. So those are the ones he I can also, come up with. He also did The Shootist, and Ron Howard yeah. and Lauren Bacall were in that. I'm sure there's a link there somewhere. I, I oh, haven't yeah. explored it. Yeah. But you know, I, always try I to will tell you. Like two or three. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Um, um, I know, I probably know the Cowboys the way you know the Burbs. Really? I know that film backwards and forwards. Um, Colleen Dewhurst is in it. She's amazing. Um, oh, yeah. And I i mean, I saw it when I was pretty little. And um, uh, I just never did get over Bruce Dern. He, he's so diabolical in it. I mean, he is just the, he's the most nasty villain, I really? think. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's he, because he's so good. It's not, yeah. um, it, you know, it's got motive behind it. Yeah. It, it's it's super powerful, yeah. And I just could never disassociate him from the man who shot John Wayne. I love Bruce Stern. <laughs> I really do. I love Bruce Stern. Oh, he's phenomenal. I, he's so good. I was so he's glad. He's phenomenal. We got, yeah, you should see it. 
when he got the role in Nebraska, I was really happy, you know, that he finally got, not finally, but it had been a while since he's had a really good role. You know, even The Haunting, which I just referenced, he has, like, three lines in that movie. You know what I mean? Like, the guy's a legend, yeah. and he's, like, basically this, I don't know if it's a cameo or what it is, but it's just this, he's, like, at the very beginning, at the very end, and he says a line or two each time, and it's just, a throwaway part, and it's great that it's Bruce Dern, because then, you know, people who know who he is, oh, it's Bruce Dern, but, you know, it's just so weird when you see people who are like, oh, I love that guy in it, and it's just this tiny little non-part, you know, but yeah. so it was good to see him kind of come back with um, Nebraska, and then Quentin, Tar- Quentin Tarantino started using him in some of his stuff. I, yes. I can't remember if he was in Django or not, I, obviously he's in The Hateful Eight. I, do, I, I thought he might have been in Django Unchained, too, but maybe not. Uh, I don't remember him in there, but that doesn't yeah. mean he's not. Uh, wasn't yeah. he, was he in any of the Kill Bills? No, I don't think so. That was no. scary. Being, I do remember the hoopla that, you know, when The Hateful Eight script leaked, and it apparently right. got leaked through Bruce Stern, and Quentin Tarantino had his little mini or mega it, fit, I should say. Was it through Bruce Dern? I knew that it got I think leaked, it was through Bruce Dern. I, I think it was I didn't through Bruce Dern. And obviously Dern. it wasn't done with any ill intention. I mean, it's not like Bruce Dern put the script on the internet. Like, it wasn't, right. I think it was Bruce Dern's agent or something. Like, it wasn't right. even Bruce Dern personally. Um, it's, yeah. it's funny that it ended up that he still was in the movie then, because I feel like Tarantino's the kind of guy who probably carries a grudge. <laughs> Maybe no. not. I know, right? Oof. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, do we decide who our next week is? I can never remember who we're doing next. Oh, yeah, I do remember. Why don't you say? You, this is your idea. This is a really oh, Kim, out there one. Kim, Kim Kardashian. Yeah. So, have fun with that one, people. Um, <laughs> the other one. <laughs> right. I'll add mine in because we've been doing two a week, so we may as yeah, well keep yeah. that going. The one, it, it, this one will be much easier. You had one off the top of your head, uh, which was Meg Ryan. Um, so we'll we'll go with those two. That one will be easy. Yeah. Kim Kardashian will be very hard, but you have to connect it through acting work. And most of her work has been right. through television. Yeah. Time. She makes right. cameos every once in a while. So, right, um, so, so film, film connections. Right. Yes, not personal connections. The um, I'm kind of proud of the the movies Meryl was almost in category this week because I I made them they're they're both one of them has a real distinct connection to out of Africa and the other one I can make a I can make a, a really bad link to it uh, so we we'll start with the good link so Meryl was almost in the film version of the firm which was also directed by Sidney Pollack that's the one that has a real really yes I love that she, movie I do too. I, that's another like soft spot for me movie. I really like that movie. So who is the, she going to be? Nobody that's in the movie. What he wanted to do was create a character for her in which oh. do you know how the whole thing is kind of his Tom Cruise plays the character in in this film. I also really like the book. I kind of I like John Grisham yeah. books, which is not something I should probably advertise, but I really do. And um, so it's a little different in the book and the movie, but. Tom Cruise right. basically ends up having an affair. Well, kind of cheats on his wife, and his law firm uses that as leverage against him. And so, what they wanted to do was instead of a instead of like a young one night stand kind of thing, which is what they do in both the book and the movie, have him mm-hmm. having like an ongoing affair with a colleague, which would have been Meryl Streep's category uh, part. Oh, 
But I don't know how far along in development they got with that before they decided it wasn't going to happen. Maybe Merrill just said, not interested, and so they just yeah. went with what the book was. But he, he went on record saying that he wanted to write a part in there for her, which would have been interesting. interesting. That movie has yeah. a lot of Gene Hackman's in it. I mean, there's a lot of good people in that movie. Oh, yeah. It's Holly Hunter. Triplehorn. Holly yeah. Hunter, yeah, Gary Busey. <laughs> yeah, Gary Busey's in there too. Uh, as, yeah. is, uh, as is the diabetes guy. What's that guy's name? Wilford Brimley's in there. Um, yeah, um, isn't Hal Hallbrook in it? Yes, I think you're right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, Holly Hunter got nominated for an Oscar for that one. The same year that she won for Best Actress in the Piano, she was nominated in Best Supporting Actress for the firm, which, first of all, those two roles could not be more different from each other. Yeah. And those performances couldn't have been more different from each other. She's excellent. And, oh, yeah, gosh. Yeah, she's great. Um, um, David Strathairn is in it, too. You know yeah. what I love about David Strathairn in that movie is that you get the impression he's kind of a big guy, right? And, yeah. and what's amazing, he's really not. He's a he's a he's a fairly he's a he's a fairly small man, you know, actor yeah. wise. And I just I he is one of my favorite actors. I think he's Me amazing, and um, I love that he's able to play that sort of southern convict character. Yeah. Yep, me too. You know? Yeah. He's, he's unbelievable. He's great. Um, the other one, this is the one with the kind of bad connection. Meryl was almost in the remake of All the King's Men. Now, the the really bad connection is Redford oh, is with... in a movie called All the President's Men. So this is All the King's Men. Um, the, the one with Sean Penn and Jude Law and Kate Winslet. Is it, um, yeah, Kate Winslet, yeah. I didn't see it. I did. I actually saw it in the theater, and it was it was not okay. so good. Um, okay. She was she was originally going to play the part that uh, that ended up going to Patricia Clarkson. She I think was, you know, she was going to do the movie and then ended up pulling out for some reason. So she must have had something else. That's around the time of Devil Wears Prada, so maybe it was to do with that okay. or something because it was like 2004 somewhere in there. But she pulled out. Which they're turning into a musical, by the way. I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy yeah, Devil Wears Prada. Yeah. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, not all the King's Men, because that... <laughs> no, that, that would be troubling. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, cool. So what's our movie for next week, Meryl? Or next time, I should say. Um, I think we settled on She-Devil, correct? Yeah. Yes. I think so. Yeah, we're let's gonna, do we're She-Devil. Switching, we're switching to comedy. Yeah, we're going to try something... Light. All right, the idea was we were going to go for something. We've done a couple in a row where she was nominated and kind of... Um, you know, we wanted to go for something smaller that, uh, you know, just kind of keep variety. So we'll do She-Devil. We'll get to Florence Foster Jenkins before the Oscars. And then right around the time of the Oscars, we'll probably do an episode um, on somebody else. We'll take one episode and talk about the entire career of another actor or actress or somebody. And um, and we'll, we'll keep going through this filmography yeah. here. So I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Me too. Yeah. I, I I particularly enjoyed this episode. I did too. Yeah, it was fun. So She-Devil will be a whole other thing. <laughs> I, I'm enjoying it. I'm looking forward to it too, but it's completely polar opposite. So I'm looking forward to um, seeing something else. This is one of those movies that I, I think I've only really seen once or twice. So I, this is She-Devil is not one that I know as well as some of her other work. So I'm glad we're 
kind of. Yeah, it's been a long go. time. I watched it on TV a couple times, and when I was younger, so it'll be it'll yeah. be interesting to revisit. I just remember Roseanne's very large mole. Like her character has a giant mole on her face. So oh, yeah. I, I think she ultimately removes. Yeah, but but I, yeah, I remember the mole. And Meryl Streep sitting by a pool, I think. <laughs> so, yeah, there's, we'll have a lot to talk about. <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll keep an eye out for those things. But, yeah, so we'll be back um, as soon as we can, folks, and uh, we'll see you next time.